0: Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. This is our podcast for safety professionals brought to you by safety professionals. Uh, my guest today is uh, actually a new friend. Typically, I would say an old friend. Most of the people that I've had on so far have been, you know, we've been doing this together for 20, 25 years. Uh, my guest is Danny Arroyo. She is the owner of WorkSafe Consulting here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, relatively new to the small business world. I think, how long have you been in business, Danny? Uh,
1: about two years. Two years, awesome. Yep.
0: And um, she brings uh, an, a unique expertise to the table. Um, you know, I consider myself kind of a safety and health generalist, uh, OSHA compliance related issues, things like that, industrial hygiene. You actually have a, a higher level skill set and you do some unique things in your business. And we're going to talk about that. Um, I'd like to hear more about it. Um, I do have an observation for the week that I'd like to make uh, before we get started. Um, As as everyone knows, there are many facets to your safety program. As a safety professional, you've got a lot of things that you're responsible for. Uh, You may have a preemptive maintenance or a preventive maintenance program that is critical to your success. You may have process safety management issues if you deal with highly hazardous chemicals. Uh, Perhaps you have a behavior-based program of some sort. My practice as a consultant is primarily compliance. So, you know, I came out of the OSHA world. Uh, that was kind of the uh, the majority of my work. Professional work experience was with OSHA, and so what I do for my clients primarily is compliance related. And and again, just one small facet of a safety program, but compliance is certainly important. It kind of establishes a baseline for us for our safety program. Uh, it is noble to want to be in compliance. I think we all understand that being in compliance is not the end of the game. It is not, there is no guarantee that being compliant equates to not having injuries. The other part of this that kind of goes unspoken from time to time is actually addressing the issues that injure your employees, Um, the stuff that you find on your 300 log, your OSHA 300 log. So in my experience as an OSHA guy, as an OSHA inspector, I would go into a facility And I would request their 300 logs. That's protocol, typically, for most OSHA inspections. You obtain the 300 logs. I would give them a cursory review, maybe look at them, maybe not, maybe just shove them in the file, and then go out and walk the facility and look for violative conditions, non-compliant conditions. And when you compare what I issue citations to or for to what's on that 300 log, there's very little correlation, right? Most of the stuff on a 300 log is overexertion related might be repetitive stress related some other kind of musculoskeletal disorder perhaps or even slips and falls and those things do not fall under the compliance realm easily you know there you know we had an, uh, an ergonomic standard for about 90 days back there you know after after the uh, Clinton administration but OSHA does not do a great job of regulating compliance of those issues but that tends to be what fills up your 300 log so Not only do you need to be compliant, but you need to address the things that are injuring or most likely going to injure your employees. And that's kind of what you do. That's kind of how I view what you do. Your specialties are things like ergonomics, um, physical assessments, uh, ADA, those kind of things. And those, those are the things that tend to populate our 300 logs. And so while I'm out there preaching compliance and helping people identify those Uh, regulatory vulnerabilities part of what you do and and uh, tell me more about what it is but part of what you do is helping them address those things that are actually injuring their employees so uh, that's my that's my two cents um that's my segue into you so danny tell everybody a little bit about yourself if you would uh you have a lot of education you've been doing this professionally for a while And, and then what you do with your business
1: all right thanks doug um First of all, I don't necessarily agree that I have a higher level skill set than you. It's, uh, it's, just, it's, it's specialized. You're very, it's very specialized. specialized. It's very specific. Um, but I think just safety people in general have uh, some pretty amazing skills. When I think about what a safety director or manager does, I, it's it's a lot.
0: Well, there is a lot to account <laughs> for. You're right. Absolutely. That's why they need people like us from time yeah. to time, hopefully.
1: Yeah. So uh, I am an occupational therapist by trade. Um, I got my doctorate from Creighton in occupational therapy. Nice. Um, My first full-time job was as an industrial therapist. Um, I was working for a company, not for myself. And that's kind of how I started to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, The primary contract that I worked through that job um, was a big one. And the safety director of that company was very experienced, very knowledgeable, which is phenomenal because mm-hmm. I didn't are really talk about a mutual friend. Yeah, we are. Yeah. But I didn't really get any training. So I essentially was hired on to run an onsite clinic and, and do post offer testing, which we might talk about mm-hmm. later. Um, but I didn't really get any training. And in therapy, in the therapy world, you don't get training on OSHA. Right. I mean that it has nothing to do with therapy. Absolutely, oh no, absolutely. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a rarity that someone goes into industrial therapy and deals with OSHA that it, it's not even touched upon. Um, and so he gave me some resources, and I was able to reach out to a therapist who had done it in the past, and that's that's pretty much how I learned about industrial therapy and what OSHA is, because I didn't, I couldn't even have told you what OSHA stood for when I got that job. Um, Right. Yeah. And then, you know, what, what I can actually do as a clinician as far as the first aid, which I'm sure we'll get into more. um, And then how to do the post office. So when
0: you, when you got out of school with that terminal degree, were you looking at occupational practice or were you more, was it a healthcare setting? That's typically where we would associate occupational therapy would be in healthcare settings or.
1: Yeah. So, when I graduated, I was not looking for industry. In fact, I'm not even sure that I knew that such a thing existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I was looking for a regular job. And I was doing what's called PRN at a couple of different places. So, that's just like on call, you work when you want. They ask you if you want to work. And I was doing that until I found something that I actually wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing that in more traditional healthcare settings, which were fine. Um, But they also have their challenges associated with them. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I heard about this industrial job, and it sounded unlike anything that I had ever heard of. Um, So just with my personality, it sounded like a good challenge Mm -hmm. and totally different. And so that fits with my personality. So I applied and got the job um, and loved it. And I grew that program from it was actually a very, very part-time job when I got it. Mm and I think it was about 10 hours a week. And by the time I left, I was full time and I had three people working for me and there were more, more than oh. one clinic. And so I feel really lucky that I found my niche no pretty much right out of school. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it was a unique opportunity that you fell in with our mutual friend <laughs> and, and, and it worked out so well. And I mean, as you know, as, we, as we've discussed, he's a very experienced safety manager. Yeah. He's a very uh, innovative safety manager, which is one of the things I love about him. You yeah. know, he's always trying new things. And it sounded like they, obviously they wouldn't have grown that if it hadn't benefited the company. So obviously it was mutually beneficial.
1: Yeah, I would say so. It worked out yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. And
0: so then when did you start your own business? Uh, um, a couple I started years my ago, own business.
1: Said. It's been about two years now. Okay. Um, so I wanted to do, keep doing the industrial therapy, but I wanted to do it kind of on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so only providing the services that I feel I want to provide mm-hmm. only working with clients that I want to work with. Mm, no doubt. Um, So that's when I and I'm a control freak, so mm-hmm. that that helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, absolutely. So yeah. So I went out on my own. About I would two imagine the ago. most
0: PhDs are. You know, they I <laughs> well, like to have some. You know, I, they certainly believe that um, they have a good comprehension of those needs and skills and and i can can appreciate that well i have a
1: clinical doctorate so it's an Mm -hmm. otd so i did a Mm -hmm. research project and it was published but it's not a phd that i have okay okay it's uh, it's yeah it's primarily focused on uh, advanced clinic work Uh,
0: actual work yeah, <laughs> rather than that, that hypothetical <laughs> stuff. That, yeah, but know.
1: but there is research required, which is not like actually treating patients or anything okay, like that. Okay, well, so. that's
0: cool, man. Yeah. So so tell me what your business does. So your business is WorkSafe Consulting. Yes. Um, here you're located here in Omaha, but you probably, I mean, tell us about you know what you do specifically for your clients and where you do that and those kind of yeah. Things. So who your I, clients might be. I mean, an example of who might utilize your services.
1: Okay. Um, So I do ergonomics. That's considered a specialty within therapy. Mm -hmm. So I do ergonomics that can be building programs. Um, That's more like on the office side. On the industrial side, it's more taking a look at a specific job. So a particular machine or a line, you would look at that line to see how you can make it the safest for the widest range of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So ergonomics, um, on-site Prevention clinics, so early intervention where everything is falling under the first aid mm-hmm. umbrella mm-hmm. of OSHA. Right. Um, so the
0: right. that there's a big exemption for that in the OSHA record keeping rules that really uh, promote that that preventive, uh, preemptive uh, treatment before things exacerbate into big problems. I mean, OSHA, and OSHA was not not good about that previously, but within the last ten years or so, they've you know, when they change the record keeping requirements, I think they realized that they were penalizing people for being proactive and they didn't want that. So that has led to what you're describing, those preventive actions that you can do at a facility before things get truly bad.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's very helpful, I think. Um, and I've seen really good outcomes. Employees, employers tend to be really happy with those programs. Mm, yeah. uh, but you do just des- you definitely need to be very knowledgeable on what is actually allowed through OSHA and what sure. isn't because it could come back. And I don't think OSHA actually does. It doesn't seem like OSHA really audits those sorts of records a lot. I could be wrong, uh, Not, not um, typically. but I have heard stories not in the Omaha area mm-hmm. of, people who provide these services but don't really understand and then they get audited by OSHA and all of a sudden this employer has like 10 new recordables that they didn't realize yeah. because actual medical care was being provided rather than right first aid.
0: Right. You you are correct. And that's not something that OSHA typically does. Uh, they will occasionally do intense record-keeping audits. We used to have a record-keeping program or we would go out and do detailed record-keeping audits, but that's not typical. And to be quite frank, without being, you know, I, I'm not sure that most compliance officers understand those exceptions, and so they probably shy away from looking at those very closely. But but there are there are rules, obviously, that you have to follow, so it would, you have to understand those, obviously, as you yeah. do. That's, that's important.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty specific rules that you have to mm-hmm. follow, but there's so much that you can do within what OSHA allows, mm-hmm. um, where you really are just preventing injury right, right. to employees. So much of what we can do is just very sort of common sense and basic, and I think our... The traditional healthcare system has kind of grown into this just beast where we just go to, you know, the most expensive option all the time, the maximum amount of treatment all the time. And sometimes the answer is just very simple.
0: Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. This is a little (laughs) bit off subject, but back when I was a compliance officer, um, I went to a facility where they were deboning hams. It was a ham processing facility. All of the employees had... Carpal tunnel, or pre-carpal tunnel, if that's even a description, and so they would come in in the morning and they would stick their hands and wrists into this hot wax bath. Are are you old enough to even know what yeah, that is? Yeah, paraffin. Do they still do that? I mean, is that um, I mean, heat, that warmth and heat probably so, provide some relief. But I just I was just amazed that these guys were just coming in and jamming their hands into this this so, hot wax.
1: I I don't use modalities, and I actually would think that that would be considered uh, medical treatment medical because treatment. you have like, to have be licensed to use paraffin.
0: Like cross that line, right? Um.
1: So I can't imagine you that. you have that to be licensed would, to use that, paraffin. Yeah. Really? As a healthcare you know provider, you <laughs> okay, right. you can go you can go and um like buy a home healthcare or uh-huh. a home a home kit to use at home, um. But I, as an occupational therapist, I have to have a license to use I it. I see. Um, okay. Well, so I would be surprised if that. Was it considered continuing. medical treatment? Yeah, and, and this was many years know. ago. That's I, interesting. Though. I don't use any modalities um, okay. because I feel like it's too easy to cross the line other than hot packs and ice. Yes, so, okay, sure, um, sure. Um, but yeah, that right. in, in traditional healthcare, that's definitely considered a modality.
0: Interesting. Okay, and modality means some type uh, of a treatment.
1: Yep. So, um, like a modality would be paraffin is one that it's it's not really used too often anymore, mm-hmm. but it can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, electrical stimulation, sure. antophoresis okay. So these are all things that if I saw you in an outpatient clinic, I would use, right. uh, but I would never use in the early intervention gotcha. on site. Right. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Because it's medical treatment. A-
0: and so. Uh, this ergonomics and preventive types of approaches. Um, I know you do uh, like a physical assessment type. I would maybe post offer type. Yeah. Programming and things like that. And
1: yeah. What's so, that all about? I, yeah, um, that's not an
0: OSHA thing, so I don't understand it.
1: Yeah. So the the ergonomic job analysis is. Mm-hmm. I I imagine most people listening probably have an idea of what that is. So it can be very generalized um, or it can be very specific. And each one has its own benefits. If it's very general, it obviously won't take that much time. And you just kind of get a general idea of what the issues are, what areas of the body you need to focus on. Um, If you want to get more into it and build a really robust program, then you do much more specific where you're taking measurements and weights of absolutely everything. You're doing it for every single job. Mm -hmm. Um, You can use that for developing like job rotations, um, post-offer tests. Um, You can send it to your health physician if someone gets injured so that they can make a good um, judgment on if it was the job that injured them or... Uh, if they are able to actually still do that job or if they need to move to a different job. Um, but, you know, it really just depends on the facility because obviously those things, whether you're buying pre-made software, which a lot of those exist, mm-hmm. or if you're hiring someone to come in and do it and use, like, the NIOSH tools and mm-hmm. such, um, it's obviously going to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. So
0: so you said something that... Uh, that uh resonated with me you you were talking about doing the job assessments where you're actually evaluating the job for risk factors and different physical demands and things like that and that assessment then is basically what you're using for that post-offer pre-hire evaluation that very job specific assessment I mean yeah it absolutely is okay um to do the
1: to do the post-offer testing for a manual job such as anything in industry Mm -hmm. really you should be testing to the job Mm -hmm. um Which is not always the
0: case, I don't believe, is it?
1: It's not, um, from what I've heard. It's what I do, and I've I've seen other ones that are more general from all the continuing ed, and I take a lot of continuing ed in this because there's just a lot of litigation in this area, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of the area that I feel like you just really need to stay up on the most Mm -hmm. um
0: which is exactly why i call you when people call me asking for this area (laughs) i I, you know i you know um as an industrial hygienist with osha i had probably two weeks of ergonomic training one week was on how to set up a workstation in an administrative environment and the other was just to be able to list off three or four risk factors And, and that's about the extent of it which is why you know since we've been working together over the last year or so Uh, When these requests come in, I I want you to handle it. I want an expert to handle it because there are certainly nuances to it. I'm not staying up on it. If anything's changing, I'm not aware of that. So, um, and it is very, as you said, I mean, litigious perhaps. I, I, you know, I just, you know, I try to avoid that.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's uh, the thing about that is there doesn't tend to be like cut and dry answers for things. Mm -hmm. So, so you need an expert to basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that 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 is why I like to stay up on it because you're essentially staying up on the latest court cases mm-hmm. more or less. Um right. so what what reason was this court case lost and what happened, what did the people involved do? Um but going back to the the job assessment and how you can use that, um and what I've seen from from the case law that I've read, um the sort of general tests where it's can you lift this fifty pound box? But That has nothing to do with the job. Um, You know, if someone is not getting a job because of that, that's when it starts to get, um, you know, kind of bad for the employer legal-wise because you have all these people who aren't getting a job because they can't do this random test that has nothing to do with the job. Oh, my gosh, And there's just – there's kind of all all different kinds of things that go into it because – I mean, you really want people to be able to do the job. So you should no be testing them to the job, yeah. not more, not less, because if you're doing less, then maybe they can't do it and they're going to get injured. And that's so that, there's that, just the creation yeah. of
0: that assessment is really critical piece. Um, I, I didn't even consider that. I don't do a lot of HR stuff. But when you said, you know, um, these random uh, physical assessments can lead to HR problems down the road. That that makes absolute sense to me. Um, and I'd not considered that because that, that's a kind of part of the world I don't exist in. But that makes sense. It, it makes sense that you would want to have a very accurate assessment of the task in order to evaluate an employee or or eliminate an employee as a possibility. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, and you don't want to overtest or undertest. Right. Um, you don't want to overtest. And so, because... do you help
0: people create that do that assessment so they can create that test?
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, So, and I actually think of the post-offer testing more kind of an HR's line Mm -hmm. than safety. Mm -hmm. I do encourage safety professionals to be active in it and make sure that they are encouraging HR to make sure that the actual job analysis is being done um, Mm. so that the proper testing is being done. Um, But for the most part, that does tend to be sort of an HR thing because there's so much HR involved. Right. HR does hiring. Your right. test needs to be ADA compliant. Um, oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's
0: another one that I avoid like. Yeah.
1: So, and that's actually, that's, that's a big one. Um, yeah. Things that aren't ADA compliant. So that's
0: something that you do as well? you consult on ADA issues or to an extent. Yeah. So many of those are um, legal, but you can consult from the the physical.
1: Yeah. So I can help with assessing like the physical demands of what someone Mm -hmm. can do or, um, just with ergonomics. I you've probably heard this story, but it's one of my favorite stories Mm -hmm. because he was just such a fantastic person to work with. But I had someone who, he was an office worker. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had an old, he had a spinal cord injury from several years ago. Um, and so I worked with him to get his office set up, and obviously HR wanted me to do that. So we were going through that, um, but that's all ADA compliance because mm-hmm. for that corporation, it's essentially reasonable accommodation is okay. is what we're talking about right now. And you know, if if the EEOC were to come and check out your corporation, they're going to say, okay, this is. A Fortune 100 company, mm-hmm. obviously buying three thousand dollars worth of office equipment mm-hmm. is reasonable for you. Right, right. Um, so things like that, um, I I don't advise um, on ADA because that is legal. Mm-hmm. But um, something that I would often do is come up with different options Mm -hmm. for foreign employer of uh what the person physically can do to get the job done and then it's up to the employer and probably their legal team to decide on if it's reasonable or not
0: and and most people uh in my experience shy away from trying to do those those assessments internally for a number of reasons obviously the legal reasons the the actual practicality of it is it going to be effective or not Mm -hmm. so I, i do have a question for you so um we, we've all seen the, uh, the proper way to set up your office with the screen distances and the neutral postures and stuff. I noticed Pat is over here slouching. <laughs> what, do think, what do you think of that <laughs> setup over here? But we've all seen that. And, and most people could probably even do that to some degree. You buy an adjustable chair, you set up the workstation so it's somewhat flexible. But man, you go out into the facility where the, the, and everything changes. and those To me, those challenges are much different. Than the, than the standard, uh, and perhaps I'm just naive, the is maybe that's really complicated as well, but, but I think people are a little bit more comfortable with setting up a workstation than they are going out into the workplace and adjusting, you know, process equipment and things like that. Um, my question is, if you identify a number of risk factors in a, in a process, but no one is having documented injuries, is do you do you change it? Is it worth making some alterations to it to try to lessen the likelihood that someone is going to have a, a an issue at some point, or do you only address things where you're having problems, or or is that just discretionary?
1: Um, so I've actually never seen that that someone had high risk and wasn't having issues. Okay, but we'll okay. pretend that. that no, has I mean that,
0: that could very well be the case. And, I uh, again, I have not just...
1: seen that where like once you do an assessment and you come up with the risk factors and, you know, you have a high risk because there's, you know, high, medium, low. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually never seen. Typically work, someone but, is having a problem. Yeah, someone ha- has been having a problem. Okay. Okay. Um, but if that were to happen, that scenario, I would say there's many things that would need to be looked at. Um, I would always encourage the employer to be proactive. So not waiting for the injury to happen. Sure. And trying to engineer it out. Right. Um that, you know, when you get into industry, and I agree with you, industry is a lot more complicated than office, unless you have someone with a disability, then sure. that can get yeah. complicated. But um,
0: I, I, I understand that you would probably eliminate severe risk factors if it's possible. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you're talking about re-engineering the entire line. Yeah. And sometimes you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, some type of a foot yep. stool or something to, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's all over, all across the board. I mean, okay. the, the, yeah. the consequence so, of that.
1: So the if there's no injuries but you have high risk if there's high risk factors and there's no injury i always encourage the employer to change that in order to prevent injury in the future mm-hmm. but a lot of things go into that decision exactly like what you just said sometimes it's going to be a multi-million dollar project that they oh, would have yeah. to do and for a lot of employers that's not possible mm-hmm. but some are and some are actively moving towards you know more automation updating everything and maybe that was just the thing that they needed to Decide. Okay, this is the investment that we're going to make for next fiscal year. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say that in any facility that I'm in, uh, my best friends are engineering and maintenance right, because true. they can pretty much come up with anything. Yeah, no doubt. Um, no doubt. Working I, I all three of us are together. By yeah. this
0: oftentimes, and they believe that they're going to have to re- redesign their entire facility, and it's it's not always the case. There are some fairly simple, inexpensive fixes that can actually. You know, provide tremendous benefit. Mm-hmm. But it real but again, for me who who has very little ergonomic training, I'm just kind of shooting in the dark. You yeah. know? And and I think there is a risk to that.
1: Um I
0: financially maybe. And maybe that's the only risk. Or maybe you can make the job worse by tampering, you know, without really having a basis for making those changes.
1: Yeah. So I always think it's worth trying. And for me, I always think it's really important to involve the people who are actually doing the job as well, which, from what I've heard, can be a step that's sort of missed by some folks. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, and sometimes, especially when I introduce myself primarily as a healthcare provider, people will be a little bit more open with me than maybe mm-hmm. they are with other people. The safety. Um, and so, getting their input on it too, because sometimes the issues that they're having aren't the ones that you would think they're having. Um, So getting their input, they should be part of the team to fix anything. And, you know, some jobs are just high risk. They just are. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so you need to look at job rotation. Uh, Can you expand the job to include more things that aren't high risk so that people aren't exposed to the hazard for as long? Um, So there's a lot of different ways that you can Mm. look into that. but. For sure, if there's a high risk, I would definitely recommend that the employers try to, to try to prevent it before yeah. there's injuries happening. Interesting.
0: Well, I would per- personally, I, all almost all of my clients are industrial. I have a few healthcare clients, uh, very few construction clients. Although, you know, ergonomics transcends all of these industry sectors. You know, I mean, but I would love to have you or someone with your skill set follow me through all of my industrial facilities to do an assessment because I think whether they're being captured on a 300 log or not, there's, there are so many risk factors and st- stressors involved in most industrial workplaces that, I, you know, every, every uh, company should probably do some kind of an assessment. I mean, even if it's just a baseline assessment. To try to identify those risk factors and where those problems are likely to occur, even if they're not having them, I don't know if they're typically that proactive. What What are your clients coming to you for, in, with an ergonomic interest? What What are they? Ask, are they typically responding to an injury? They've got an issue.
1: I would say, yeah, generally responding to an injury or several injuries, even if they're not major, but mm-hmm. you know, five injuries have happened on this line, and yeah. none of them are major. But what can we do to change mm-hmm. this? Um,
0: it would be nice to be a little bit more proactive, I think if yeah
1: could, if companies I,
0: can embrace that, I know that's hard
1: well, and I think part of that is because safety folks not because they don't understand it, but because it's not what OSHA goes after right um, and i've I've talked to people about that before, and it they agree that that's. That's true because they're, that's not what OSHA is going to come in and audit. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they can get all that kind of tidied up and cleaned, what you know, what OSHA is going to audit, then they can focus on this other stuff. And it's not that they don't realize that it's not a problem or they don't want to address it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, I think it's really overwhelming for them because there's not standards written. Right.
0: What's well, incredibly difficult for an OSHA compliance person as well. So speaking from that perspective, we typically avoided doing ergonomic evaluations. I mean there was a period of time where OSHA had a nursing home initiative and they probably still do. Uh, but when, while I was with the with the agency, we had a nursing home initiative and beca- you know because the uh, you know the caregivers, the nursing staff, the aides, the, you know there's there's so much resident manipulation, there were a lot of issues with that. And we had just a general matrix that we used you know based on you know the number of injuries and the severity of those injuries over a period of three years, are they increasing, have they decreased, and is the facility doing anything about it, any type of lift assist devices or no lift or, you know, buddy lifting, whatever the approach was, and if they were doing any of those things, we we didn't pursue an ergonomic issue. So OSHA is just not well-equipped to deal with it, but the fact of the matter is, it's oftentimes what's costing the company the most money.
1: Yeah, uh, it's tough. Ergonomic sort of injuries, musculoskeletal injuries caused by improper lifting, um, not getting help for lifting and healthcare is huge. Mm, a lot of money. So many healthcare providers get injured mm. by transferring patients either incorrectly or they should have asked for help right. or, uh, you know, a lot of facilities are understaffed. Um, mm. healthcare for the most part usually is a for-profit business, um, and so staffing can be an issue at a lot mm-hmm. of places. Um, CNAs yeah. are some of the hardest working people I know. No doubt. And anywhere I ever go, they're almost never fully staffed. And mm-hmm. so if they want to give care to these people, they feel like it's all on them. And oftentimes it is, unfortunately.
0: Right. That, that That's a huge issue. I, I know we actually share that in common. Um, I had a little bit of experience working in a nursing home many, many years ago as a nurse's aide. I'm not even sure the certified nurse's aide Credential existed at that time. It was so long ago, and I know you've had experience in long-term care and other skilled nursing facilities. I would really like to, at some point in the future, do an episode or two addressing specifically uh, safety, ergonomic, you know, issues as they relate to the healthcare world or long-term care. I loved that industry when I when I you know when I first started working in the nursing home. Um, it was incredibly difficult to come to terms with the smell you know that that disinfectant odor the the you know this institutional looking linoleum everywhere uh at the end of the summer where i worked there i loved that job and 40 years later it's one of the most memorable jobs i ever had i you know i i can't remember 90% of the jobs i had as a younger person but that job well every, everybody should have to do that job at some point you know just to see this full circle of life you know and uh, I don't mean to get off on that tangent, but I know you've had some long-term care experience as well. Yeah, no, that's
1: me. okay. I, uh, Yeah, I have worked in nursing homes, how I describe PRN as a therapist, mm-hmm. so helping out. I actually... Um, thought that I was going to spend my entire career in a nursing home Mm -hmm. when I decided to become an occupational therapist. I wanted to work in long-term care. Um, I loved working with older adults. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reality of it is just very different than what you think it is, though. Um, There's just so many financial constraints, and the focus is so much on profit. Mm -hmm. Uh, If any therapists ever listen to this, which I don't know that they will because it's a safety podcast, but uh, they will will definitely understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But it's not... You don't really you oftentimes don't feel like you can actually provide the care that you need to care yeah, to bad, provide man. to the residents, which mm-hmm. is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. So.
0: And, nor was it what I thought it would be either. But, <laughs> but as I said, you know, it turned out to be an incredibly valuable experience for me uh, and it does affect your perspective, obviously. Yeah, and, absolutely. and that was great. And maybe, so maybe we'll have a chance to talk more about that in the future. I would love to get into more detail about long-term care. Um, but I do have a few questions for you. So, okay. a couple of things that I get asked frequently. Um, what about stretching? So I know that your 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 business deals primarily with industrial settings, probably some healthcare settings, and then very limited uh, engagement with construction settings at this point, mm-hmm. uh, although there's a huge need in construction, and you know that may or may not someday be something that you deal with. But I get asked a lot of questions about stretching, stretching programs in general. What, what's your just general opinion of stretching programs? Do you deal with that? Do you do that kind of thing? Yeah. Or what's your impression?
1: Uh, I do deal with that, and I make those. Um, I am in support of them. Uh, so I think that ideally they should be developed to the job. Again, mm-hmm. everything is really best if it developed to the job. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you can go into a facility. No stretching
0: program that. Fits I mean, everyone's you, you
1: can do a general one, but it won't be ideal. Um, so you can go into one facility and the job is completely different than another facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big proponent of doing, uh, dynamic dynamic ups before doing mm-hmm. static stretching, mm-hmm. which is just not a reality for a lot of places, mm-hmm. um, because you have to allow a decent amount of time for that program to get done. Um, I think that's kind of the ideal and, um, kind of the gold standard, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of employers so describe just, that. What,
0: what would you, what would you, what are you referring to when you say dynamic Warm up.
1: So actual movements. So okay. slow controlled movements, Be
0: walking or even marching in place type of a thing, or what, what would that be?
1: Uh, that could be part of it. Um, so movements in a natural plane. So mm-hmm. normally when we're moving, we're moving straight forward. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're doing exercise and stretches. I mean, right. that's not really how we actually move. So if you're on a production line, you're not mm-hmm. just grabbing directly in front right. of you. True. So you're moving mm-hmm. um, and these, what we call like D1, D2 patterns in therapy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. On, on a diagonal, okay. um, that's a lot more natural. So slow right. controlled movements through okay. more natural movements to get the body warmed up before doing actual uh, static stretching. Okay, um, And then especially with the static stretching, I think it needs to be aimed at the job specifically. So right. if it's something that where you're using your arms a lot, but not really the rest of your body, you really want to focus on um, stretching out those muscles that are constantly tensed and flexed.
0: Interesting. Okay. And you, you help develop those. I mean, again, that's part of the workplace assessment uh, and and the stretching. I ideally would then be geared toward those physical demands for those employees. Correct. And you help people put those together.
1: Yes. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. I put those together. And then this past year I started actually like developing what will possibly become software eventually, Mm -hmm. but um, like making all of my own actual stretches and stuff. Most people usually use like pre-developed software Mm Again, because I'm a control freak, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I might not be able to find the exact stretch that I want or it might not be done right. like, the way that I like it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I've already started issuing that to clients where it's my own. No um, so so it's exactly exactly how I want it. <laughs>
0: so that's, that's interesting to me because uh, as a workout guy or a former workout guy, uh, in the working out world, we talk a lot about... Um, Dynamic warming up, you know, mm-hmm. and rather than st- rather than starting with static stretches in, yep. in the working out functional yep. world. And I there are a number of
1: that's what it is functional movement.
0: There, there's a number of like workout guys that post short video clips of the exercises that they're prescribing for their online. Cl- so they actually show you a 15 second snippet of how the exercise is to be performed. And it sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing for your clients, in a, in, or in some fashion, you are giving them. A visual to accompany the text or the audio, so they actually know what they want their people to be doing. Yeah, so, that, so the, that's very cool. The
1: way that the stretch programs work is, um, I develop it's like a handout that the that the employees mm-hmm. can have, and I encourage employers to have several copies so employees can take them and put them on their lockers or mm-hmm. take them home, whatever them the home case and, is. Yeah. Um, and then, ideally, you would have like a big. Poster, several big posters throughout the plant wherever people would stretch. So, pre work or when they're coming back mm-hmm. from break, so that they can have the visual there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they have the picture, and then I like to keep instructions as basic as possible, just so as many people mm-hmm. can understand as possible. Um, and then just a few basic but instructions. But you, you believe
0: there's benefit to doing stretching pre shift or partway through the shift or something? Yes. I think oh, that's excellent. Okay. I do. I don't know that most companies do that. I know some companies, and they tend to be forward-thinking companies, they do mm-hmm. stretching programs either in their pre-job meetings. And, and you might find if you do dabble in the construction world, there are some construction companies that will do this. They will have kind of a pre-shift task discussion or a job hazard and toolbox talk or something, mm-hmm. and they will lead the employees through uh, a stretching regimen of some sort or a little protocol, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, might be five minutes might be 10 minutes over the course of that discussion, but I, I was always fascinated by I think that's reasonable. It makes sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, since I stretch um, repeatedly throughout the day in order to actually be able to dysfunction, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of where my life has gotten to, but... Uh, you should but, try foam rolling. Uh, I should. I do actually do, uh, do some lacrosse roll. ball work,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, you know, like tack down that tissue, as they say in the business, and um, a little bit of foam rolling. And I do get relief from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's valuable. What about, that, that leads me, this is an incredible segue into the <laughs> aging workforce, okay, which is another issue, truthfully. I happen to be like the leader of the aging workforce, <laughs> but I mean, it, it presents some serious issues, does it not? I mean, do you do you see this in your practice?
1: Yeah, it absolutely does um and the the aging workforce is huge the baby boomer generation is mm-hmm. a, a huge generation Thank gen you. x is gen x is after you and they're right. significantly smaller right. you guys still make up a huge part of the workforce
0: and it is um, it is problematic it seems to me you know i would agree yeah what what, what um, do we do are there things that we i mean stretching might be one of those things that we can do to try to
1: yeah so with that? with everything that we've discussed a lot of the issues that i see are some things can be engineered out. A lot of what I see though, I'm thinking of a client that I'm working with right now who they are doing absolutely everything they can to engineer stuff out mm-hmm. and they're super proactive. But a lot of the issues I see when I go to their plant are, um, things aren't being performed correctly. So really training needs to happen. Um, you know, I've went to the plant and I was there for a few, few hours on one day and I didn't see a single person lifting correctly. Everyone mm-hmm. was bending over at the waist right. and lifting up. Um, So a lot of it is training, Mm -hmm. um, ergonomics, I feel like is sort of a newer thing. You know, I don't feel like back in the eighties that it was, it was a big deal at all. Um, and so some of the older workforce definitely could benefit from training. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had decades of these sort of work movement patterns that, that they've just always done. Um, and a lot of people don't realize how much better that can feel when you're doing something correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's why, um, and I and I know there are um, probably issues with the construction world, but there there are so many awkward postures required, and they are you know they are literally you know lifting heavy materials and heavy equipment and tools and bending, and half the time they're working overhead, and mm-hmm. half the time they're on their hands and knees, and and often in my experience there are some simple fixes, whether that be just, uh, you know, change the height of the ladder so you don't have to work over your head. You can work in a more neutral posture or elevate the work off the ground so you don't have to bend over at the waist to cut something at your feet or mm-hmm. simple things like that. But as you I think education and breaking those old habits, mm-hmm. you know, actually utilizing some of that information would go a long way. I mean, there are guys older than me still working on construction sites. I don't know mm-hmm. how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at them and think, how have you done that for 40 years? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've obviously adjusted to it and found some way, but they're probably cramming down a lot of Advil at the end of the day and among other things, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks, I mean, there there just seem to be things that could be done and, and and oftentimes it's probably a lack of information.
1: Yeah, it could be. And you can go back to engineering. Maybe the job still needs to be changed, kind of like what you said. Yeah. Um I, I don't have a ton of experience in construction, but I do, I mean, construction jobs are hard. they They are I mean, no joke. You know, the tool industry um,
0: seems to have progressed. Yeah. You know, the, the way they design the tools, that has changed. I mean, the old pistol grip, you know, and those are very, mm-hmm. very um, remedial. I mean, every time you watch an old OSHA ergonomics video, they show the differences in the tools and just how it you know the the stress that it puts on your wrist or or your hands and things like that and and I th- so the tool industry has done that I just don't think the construction industry as a whole has really embraced trying to eliminate some of those awkward postures from the work and uh, I don't I don't know how the guys do it you know I I don't do a lot of construction in my practice but whenever you're on a construction site you see things that are look that looks so Glaringly bad. That would be relatively easy to rectify. Uh, you just want to you want to say something. It's probably not what you're there for typically, but it's difficult. So maybe that's a whole new horizon for. <laughs> although it is, it would be very difficult to change these guys' behaviors. Yeah, you know, significantly.
1: Well, and even tough. just outside of construction, just with people in general, and and the longer you've been doing it, it it's not even just. Uh, training is part of it, but just breaking those movement patterns that have Mm -hmm. become so natural to you over many years, you really have to be conscious of what you're doing throughout Mm -hmm. the workday. And that's the same with breaking any sort of habit, but it's a lot Mm -hmm. easier said than done. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I guess if you can redesign a workstation in an industrial setting, that's probably a lot more effective than just training someone and asking them to do their work differently in a construction setting. Yeah. If you can actually alter or engineer out some of those risk yeah. factors. Well so. you always
1: you always want to engineer them out first yeah, if definitely. possible.
0: <laughs> yeah if we if you leave it to the employee, yeah. oftentimes as you said, they're gonna fall back into those old patterns or those old habits and it's it's much less reliable. Yeah. And, you know, well same. and then,
1: you know, I mean, anytime you're dealing with humans, there's a big psychological factor to it. So yeah. sometimes they don't realize that they're doing it. Sometimes they get frustrated because they feel like management is making them move so fast that they can't slow down a bit to use a different movement pattern. And so everything is psychology when you're dealing with humans. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, I wish I
0: had a psychology degree. Truthfully. There is so much of that involved. You know, when we I have talked with some of the guests about what makes a good safety professional uh, and, and You know, your communication skills and the way you interact with people is such a critical part of it oftentimes, you know. I mean, I'm dealing with a situation right now where there are concerns about not only the message being delivered, but how it's being delivered in a certain workplace. And gosh, that that makes such a difference. It does. That's really tough. And I, you know, I I have learned that the hard way, Yeah. you you learn one way to approach people oftentimes when you're with OSHA. As a, as a regulator, as an enforcement person, and, you know, that approach doesn't work as a consultant, I've found, you know, yeah. so ha- I've had to alter my approach significantly, but
1: I bet you have. It is what it I, is. I have an awesome job. I just get to help people all day. Yeah, that is, that
0: is awesome. <laughs> so. I totally agree. So um, let's talk, I'd like to, I re- I'm really fascinated by the ergonomics part of this because okay. it, it interests me and I know as a, as a safety person how impactful those issues can be on the workforce. So what's involved in an assessment? If if a company called you and says, Hey, we've got a problem with a job, Danny, can you come out and take a look at it and help? What do you do? What goes in, into an assessment in general terms? I know you can't.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, if possible, I always physically do the job, which might be unique. Perform the job. Yeah. If possible. So, okay. You know, Love there it. are a lot of things that I can't do, sure. but I would observe for a little while mm-hmm. um, so that I know what the job is. I always talk to supervisors or managers to get an idea of the job. Then I talk to the employees to get an idea of the job. I mm-hmm. make sure that it's okay that I do the job, and then I do the job.
0: Interesting. Wow. Um, good for you. you you're, you're Mike Rowe, basically, in, in uh, some respects. M- Michelle Rowe. Michelle there we go. Rowe. Yeah. Michelle
1: Rowe. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I-, I think that's terrific. I mean, obviously, there's some jobs that I can't do, um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the manufacturing jobs I can do Mm -hmm. um, and I'll do them. You you get a very different perspective of the job when you actually do it. Um, And there are things that come up that you might not realize otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like, the the grip on this is actually really terrible when you're Mm -hmm. working in this environment for any more than, you know, 45 seconds. Right. It looks great. It looks well designed. I never would have thought that that was an issue, but it is interesting. Um, so I do the job and then I use standardized tools um, to actually get measurements and data. So that's the quote unquote impor- important stuff that you would um, put into your report. Um, that's what you would base you know the the testing off of okay. all that kind of stuff. so I'm not going to put in my report. Mm-hmm this job was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to mm-hmm. put all the data that I collected, right. but I do think it's an important part of the assessment to actually do the job. Absolutely. So generally you would start with one or two assessments that are sort of more holistic, whole body, mm-hmm. what's going on in, with with the whole job. And then from that, you would get an idea of where the issues are. So what body areas, and then you get you do one or two assessments for each area that has some risk to it to get more specific risk measures of those areas that are high risk, mm-hmm. higher moderate risk.
0: Well, I love that you described it that way. Um, you know, taking the measurements and counting the number of repetitions and all of that stuff. I mean, we can do that certainly, and it's and it's data, as you said. I mm-hmm. mean, data is useful in some respects, good or bad. It's always, but I like the idea of doing the job, and I really like as as I really like the idea of engaging with the employees that do the job you know there's probably no better place to go for information than the employees that are doing it to try to get some insights into what the real issues are Mm -hmm. um and that's that's kind of a pretty pretty broad scope of of interaction in order to come up with some assessment and then make recommendations then i mean what what comes from that assessment at that point if we're having injuries or issues with that job
1: yeah. So you would, um, I have to say though, every time I tell someone that I do these industrial jobs, everyone is always shocked. Like even the mm-hmm. safety people at the mm-hmm. places, I, I, think that's great. I, d- I didn't realize that people didn't do them because I essentially <laughs> well, just taught guys myself, can't do the jobs, truth so, right. <laughs> but I feel like I get a lot out of doing it. And I also feel like, especially if I'm doing an on-site clinic, I really build rapport with the employees that way too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm, if I'm on site and mm-hmm. someone is in the weeds, like, I'll hop on and help them mm-hmm. if they need it for a few minutes until yeah. obviously not long term, right. but until someone can help them out. Mm-hmm. Like or the boss. I feel like that. I feel like that really builds rapport oh, with I think people, it does, no and people doubt. should have trust in you. Yeah. Um. Well, I think so that's excellent. off of those uh, assessments that I would use, I would write up a report. Um, in that report, it would have specific recommendations of what could be done to mitigate the risks, um, the moderate and high risks, and you'd want to start with high, obviously. Um, And then from that, it's kind of up to the employer of what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They can start working towards mitigating those risks. I can help them if they need it. Mm -hmm. And then that's the um, written report assessment that you could use for all those different things that I mentioned earlier. So sending to the health docs, starting to develop a rotation schedule for the jobs, uh, developing the post-offer testing.
0: What's critical Um, about job rotation? Um, I mean... We, we use that description or we offer that as a, as a strategy, but there, there's more to it than just rotating people, is there not?
1: Yeah. So there are, like I mentioned before, quite a few jobs where the risk really can't engineered out. And I have one specific client in my head where Mm -hmm. you just, you can't engineer out the issues. So a good option is going to be to rotate people Mm -hmm. through. So uh, this job is high risk for wrist and elbow. So then we want to rotate them, but we don't just want to randomly rotate them. We don't want to rotate them to another, yeah, we don't want to put them on another job where it's also moderate to high risk for wrist and elbow. So when you're using those job assessments, that's what I'm saying. You can I usually make an Excel spreadsheet for that's color coded Mm -hmm. so that the client can just see it more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can start to build your job rotation off of that. So this is a high risk job. Let's move them to something that is low risk for that. Um, So hands and wrists can rest for a little while. Right. Um, I,
0: I've seen a number of job rotation strategies that just involve move one place down the line that's or what one I see more a place down yeah. the line. And it's just not it's the helping <laughs> They're doing the same risk factors. Yeah. And it, you know, just, you know, five feet to the right or left yeah. it does not remedy that situation. Yeah. I think that's a common error.
1: I see that a lot. And i just, I just, I assume that just the people who do that because oftentimes it's the supervisors or leads on the floor who are left responsible for that. And right. they just don't really understand maybe the point of job rotation mm-hmm. or usually they don't understand necessarily what the risk factors are. So it's not that they're making these bad decisions. They just don't really understand yeah. what the point of what they're doing right. is supposed to be right. or how to accomplish the goal. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. Um, but I
1: see that a lot too. I
0: do too. <laughs> I do too unfortunately. Well, so, um, what other? I mean, do you guys? What other things are you doing for your clients? I mean, that, that's actually quite a bit of stuff. I mean, are you setting up clinics at this point? Are you helping them with? Do you actually? I mean, I know you were a sole owner operator. You don't have employees. You're like me. You're just mm-hmm. a one person uh, shop. Yes. But and that, so that limits your ability to be on site forty hours a week at any given location. I'm sure. But do you help them? with the administrative considerations if they're setting up a clinic or what kind what kind of other services do you offer your clients
1: Uh so or, as or far as like the de- developing so For office, you kind of spoke to this earlier. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you need someone like me to be on site in an office building. I think just having someone develop a basic office ergonomics program, training one or two people maybe in HR Mm -hmm. on how to do it and going over that with all new hires. I think that's a really fantastic way to handle it. Mm -hmm. And then you can have someone like me that you consult with for other issues. Someone wow. comes in and um, they have they have a disability or they do get injured and so they need some sort of accommodation. Um, but office ergonomics actually is straightforward. It's it's mm-hmm. not complicated. Well, um, yeah, as
0: you said, other than those really unique situations.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that's best practices okay. and I have developed kind of a basic office ergonomic program oh, and I've nice. trained okay. kind of like train the trainer sort of thing. Yeah. Otherwise, as far as on site clinics, I have not helped set up a clinic that I didn't actually run. Okay. Um, off the top of my head, I don't really actually know any other therapists who do industry mm. in the Omaha area. Just not done. Um I I take the back. I know one PT who does. Otherwise, it's just I don't think it's something that people even know what it is. And yeah. that's actually a goal of mine to start um, I would like to start taking students at some point in the next year mm-hmm. to two years mm-hmm. to introduce them to it. Um, I know at my school there was a clinical rotation at oh, Creighton, right but oh, no okay. one no one wanted to do it. So I don't know that I'll actually get any interest in oh, that. No, no, that's actually um, really cool. I like that. But I think it would be a good way to start introducing people to it because I think this is a very useful thing to do. It's mm-hmm. prevention, which no matter what we say in traditional healthcare, we don't do. Prevention In traditional healthcare, we just don't. Right. Um, and this is actual prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me personally, as a healthcare provider, I really feel like I'm actually helping people <laughs> when I do these sorts of things, right. um, rather
0: than reacting to their. Yeah,
1: misery. exactly. Proactive rather mm-hmm. than reactive. Yeah, that's nice. Um, that's kind of the safety mindset it's too. Nice to be in a position to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've never helped set up a clinic that I wasn't actually in. I also feel like unless you are just a huge company that. I don't really think that you would need my services forty hours okay. a week. Right. Um,
0: but I mean, so for example, the uh, the uh, example you talked about earlier in the in the beginning of our in our discussion, uh, working with our mutual friend, yeah, uh, you were there. Uh, that grew significantly, and there were a number of people working under your direction. Yep. What, what types of services did you pr- provide there, for example? What was what was being offered to the so employees? So
1: it was an on-site clinic, and that clinic was open, I believe, about 40 hours a week. So the reason why I say I don't necessarily believe that it's necessary, that mm-hmm. safety fellow loves those sorts of services. Mm-hmm. And so he very much was a proponent of having it open. I, I see. Okay. I don't think that's necessary. So if you are with a company that doesn't have that kind of budget, and realistically a lot of companies Most don't, don't. Sure. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing because if you're sending people to me for OSHA first aid, it's not an emergency. Mm-hmm. They right. do not need to see me right now. Right. If they need to see someone right now, it's not me. More emergent it's not, maybe yeah, we're talking yeah, about. It's something not else. going to be early intervention. That they they need to get sent out yeah. for immediate care. Absolutely. Um, so if you are with a company where you can't afford forty hours a week, that's fine because mm-hmm. you don't need it mm-hmm. um people should be able to you know sign up and okay this person comes on wednesdays so mm-hmm. i'm going to see them at this time on wednesday right. if it's if they need to see someone right I'm, now i'm familiar with i'm not that situations person. like that so
0: but but you don't would you well i guess that's for you to discuss with the potential client but i've seen that situation where uh, a therapist will be on site for a scheduled number of hours mm-hmm. And then oftentimes it's like if you're having any problems work related or otherwise, please make an appointment, go visit with them. They can discuss um, I was going to say treatment, but that's the wrong word because it's not treatment. They can just discuss things for you to consider, whether that be perhaps you know icing something or mm-hmm. whether there you know might be a stretching or whatever that there might involve preemptively. Um, and that seems to be really effective, and I, I'm sure the employees love that.
1: Yes, that they opportunity. Do. Yeah, the overall employees absolutely love it. I've had HR people tell me that they use it as one of their recruiting tools oh, yeah. when people come in. Um, but going back to the place where we were talking about earlier, it was a 40-hour week clinic. Um, I also did all their post-offer testing, and at that time, that facility was just having an unbelievable amount of turnover. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. constant. So mm-hmm. that was a big part of it. Um, we did a lot of ergonomics. Um, I worked with their engineering a lot and maintenance to improve jobs. Um, God, it's been a few years. And that,
0: But that helped their retention ultimately? I imagine it did.
1: Um, I'm not sure. I know they just in general, they had a lot of issues with turnover. Yeah. I don't know that that necessarily had to do with the physical demands of the job. I'm I'm not sure about that. Um, it was just, it was constant. I've never seen anything like it. (laughs) Um, but I I think that they have, that they have improved though. Um, so a lot of it was doing post-offer testing for high levels of turnover. Mm -hmm. Um, the clinic was open 40 hours a week. I did a lot of like administrative and, um, tracking stuff for them Mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily think needs to be done by someone like Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. high paid consultant. Um, I think, A lot of those sorts of administrative things I did could be done by um, someone in HR. Or like if there was a safety tech, uh, Mm -hmm. another person in safety who could do it.
0: So um, I'm going to post your name and contact information on the website. Okay. You want to just give that information now? How would people get in touch with you? If they were interested in discussing one of these services with you, I mean, do they come to your website or they just call? Or what? how would they how would they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, they can call or email. I have a website. It's not fancy, um, but it will just give you my contact information on there. And it is. Um, so I am Danny, D-A-N-N-I, at worksafene.com. And my phone number is 402-802-6316.
0: Okay, awesome. And, and like I said, I will put that on the website. Uh, so anybody that... Well, anybody, everybody should call. I mean, it sounds, <laughs> in my opinion, certainly everybody needs to do these evaluations. So, just to wrap things up, you know, where would you like to see your business go? I mean, what do you enjoy most about what you're doing, and where where do you want to where do you want to see it go? What would you like to? I mean, do you enjoy the ergonomic part of it? Do you enjoy the uh, the preventative aspects of what, I mean, what, what do you like doing and what do you want to see happening over the next few years?
1: Um, I like everything I do. And that's one of the great things about having your own business is you can do what you want to do. So Mm -hmm. for instance, when I was an employee, I did work comp therapy. So I, I would see people like from the beginning to the end and all that kind of stuff. I, don't really like the fact that I'm the prevention person and the work comp person. So I don't do work comp therapy. Okay. So if early intervention didn't work, someone got injured and they need to go and have actual therapy, I'm not the one who's going to do it. Okay. Um, so I have control over what I do. So everything that I do, I really like. Good. Um, That's nice. I am eager to start bringing students in with me. And Mm -hmm. that's obviously going to be dictated by if clients will allow them on the premises Mm -hmm. or not. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, something I would work out with individual clients. Um, Every time I go see my
0: doctor, he's got a medical student with him. So it's got to (laughs) be... You know, well, I think be. in
1: healthcare, that's normal. I think outside of healthcare, it's not really normal to just uh, have like okay. students hanging around right. all the time.
0: That oh, sounds like a good idea. To um,
1: yeah, I just, I think this is a, a great niche to be in mm-hmm. and I think it will continue to grow because it really is. If you look at healthcare as a whole, this really is almost the only prevention with mm-hmm. a few exceptions right. that's actually being done right. musculoskeletal wise anyways. Um, and so I think it is going to grow. So oh, I, I think it's going to be in the next, you know, five to 10 years, this is going to be a lot more common than it is now. Um, I
0: completely agree. And, and and it's a whole different discussion, healthcare in general, but I think if we could be more preventative, whether that be at work, home, whatever that might include, the benefits downstream would just be significant. So I, I know comp- most companies realize this and they're just looking out for a way to incorporate some of these preventive strategies Mm -hmm. into their programs, and so, you know, I was really excited that you would be able to come and speak with us so that we could give them that information. Uh, I would love to see that you're doing this for many of my clients because, uh, you know, many of them are struggling with some of these issues that I don't have great tools to help them address, and so, uh, at least here in Omaha, you know, uh, it's great that we have someone with your skill set in this safety community. Um, Anything you want to say in closing? I mean, anything you'd like to offer or... Um, any complaints or
1: no complaints? (laughs) I prevention is the way to go. I love what I do. I get to help people and my clients love that I help their people. So what would you do with Uh, (laughs) that?
0: Would you make him sit up straight or what would you (laughs) make him sit at least put his feet on the floor or something like that? I know you're supposed to, when I sit at my desk, my feet go up on the desk. I lean back. I slouch. Uh, It's the only comfortable position I can assume, but I know that uh, as an ergonomist, you'd probably walk in and just be horrified, but that's the nature of how I work. Well, thank you for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. I always do. Um, I look forward to working with you for the next, well, for me, five years, for you another uh, 30 years or whatever it is. And I hope we get to do it again sometime, but thanks for coming in. Um, Like I said, I'm going to post your contact information on the website. I encourage people to call you, at least discuss with you how you might be able to help them. And uh, I'm sure you can. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks, Doug. Always appreciate your support. Parkville Media Production.